Patient No Longer is a podcast featuring leaders in healthcare who are inspiring a positive shift in the customer experience and human understanding. In this podcast, we interview people who are from all areas of healthcare that are impacting the healthcare consumer journey of care. My name is Ryan Donahue, solutions expert and strategic advisor with NRC Health. And it's a pleasure to host Patient No Longer, a podcast in search of what's new, what's next, and what makes healthcare human again. Welcome back to another episode of Patient No Longer. We've got an excellent guest today. We've got Chris Dufresne of Alina Health. Hello, Chris. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. He is the Vice President of Experience and Marketing Technology. And if you don't know Alina Health, they are massive. There are 11 hospitals, 90 plus clinics, 28,000 employees, which includes associated employed physicians numbering at 6,000. So quite the operation. And Chris, you've been in the middle of it for quite some time. You are an expert, I think, in many ways on virtual care as well. We've collaborated on that in the past. And I want to start there because there's been so much conversation in the spring as we emerge from COVID. Where are we going with telemedicine? It was absolutely necessary in 2020 and 2021. But now there's a lot of debate about where it goes next. In your mind and with all your experience, what is virtual care? I think it's a good question these days because everyone likes to throw around different words. You hear virtual care, telemedicine, telehealth, so many different words, and you really do have to ask somebody to define it. If I had to define it, I'm looking at it more from a consumer lens. Virtual care would be care that's not in person, right? Whether that be asynchronous, like we like to say in the market, really a questionnaire based or a video visit with my provider or a telephone visit. As a consumer, like, Virtual to me is just not in an office setting. That said, some consumers would interpret it as just video. So that's why as a health system, we have to be clear what modality we're using because we've had situations where patients show up in person for a virtual visit, and we've had people try to log on virtually for an in-person visit. So we've had to tailor our appointment reminders and make it ever clearer, like, here is what this visit is, and here's how you're going to connect in with us. I mean, that's a great answer. I think anybody with any technical background can understand that, that it's care that is not in person. And of course, you know, we were encouraging people to do that the last two years during the pandemic. Now, as we emerge, as my colleague, Dr. Steve Clasco calls this era, the kind of after COVID era, afraid to say we fully emerged, but hopefully we do. Let's jump into the topic of telemedicine in particular, and is it going to continue? Obviously, physical appointments have returned for the most part. There's differences across the country. What do you see as the near-term future for telemedicine? I mean, is it going to go back to 2019 levels? Are we going to be surprised by how much people continue to use it? Where do you come out on that? Yeah, my thinking is there's a great convenience to virtual care. I've got two kids who are a little older now, but when they were little, boy, would it have been nice to just do a virtual visit if one of them's tugging at their ear on a Tuesday morning, right? And they got a history of ear infections. The doc knows that and see the kid's not feeling well. That's just convenient as a consumer. And I expect more and more convenience these days. That said, there's also a time when you want to go in. Like as a parent too, now that my kids are older, I kind of know when it's going to require a strep test. And I don't want to have the hassle of a virtual visit and then go in and then start over and get the throat culture, et cetera. You know, at Alina, we've really worked to streamline that. 
thinking about how do we make it easier for a patient to move from one mode or one channel to another. Now, to be honest, we don't have it perfectly figured out. We're continuing to try to grow in it, making it clear to consumers that you're not going to pay for two full visits. We try to make the check-in a little bit quicker for you if it's just coming in for a lab test, et cetera. We got a long ways to go, like most health systems. My prediction for virtual care is that it'll stay pretty consistent with where it is now. We've actually seen that as volumes have increased back in person after COVID or compared to BC before COVID is what I call it. Before COVID, virtual was not super well adopted. Docs were hesitant. We had some early adopters who really liked it. Consumers were kind of questioning it. But now people have had a flavor for it. And I think they have an idea of when does this work? Meaning if I'm at the cabin, it might be easier to just have a virtual visit with my doc. Or if it's a standard med check that there isn't a physical exam. But then I also know there's times when I just want to go in. It's just easier to go in and not have to deal with the technology or the risk of having to go in anyway. It seems like consumers, you know, you mentioned they've gotten a taste of it. They've had that flavor of telemedicine. And we know that there's droves of consumers who wouldn't have had that experience without COVID. And so you've got 10 years worth of adoption by normal healthcare standards that were squeezed into the pandemic. And so now you've got these people who've got a taste of both. We sometimes talk about, and you and I presented at the Healthcare Internet Conference, HCIC, last fall on this, this idea of the hybrid experience now, where it's curated, where it's not all telemedicine, obviously that doesn't work. You got to be in person, you got to show up sometimes, but it doesn't have to be all in person either. In your mind, what does this look like, this perfect hybrid experience? I mean, does it start with clicks for a long time and then I eventually show up? Is it a mix mash of both? What does it look like to you? It's ultimately going to be up to the consumer to choose. And that's how I believe it should be. We need to educate consumers on what type of care is appropriate virtually too, like what can be done virtually and what can't. There's something on the health system side of being able to educate, but there's also something on the consumer side of being able to choose. And so prior to healthcare at Align about seven years now, prior to was at Target headquarters in Minneapolis, part of Target.com, Target Canada. And in Target.com, you know, I was there at a time when e-com was just starting, right? Target was still on Amazon.com's web platform. And this was in 2008, 2009, not even 15 years ago, they were entirely on Amazon's platform. Like how crazy is that to think about? We got off on our own platform, but then there was challenges in getting the store employees to want to cross-sell to Target.com. If somebody was in looking at furniture and they didn't find what they wanted, the store employee, the store manager even wasn't incented to drive a consumer to Target.com because they didn't get the sale. They didn't get credit for it. They'd rather sell something to them in the store, even though the consumer might return it 30 days later. They had to figure out ways to incent the stores to want to sell goods online. And they did this with, they called it web influence store sales too, right? And on the reverse side, where did .com drive somebody into a store to make a purchase. And now what you've seen in the pandemic, and Target was doing this a bit before, the intersection of these different modes and channels of buy online, ship to store, buy online, ship to home, use shipped, or, you know, like you're in the store and you don't see it, they're out of stock, so you ordered online. Like there's so many different modalities. And now as a consumer, we just expect it. And so the consumer is now expecting it of healthcare. And it's going to take a little bit more time for them to embrace virtual even more, I think, but they are now starting to expect the various options. 
It's so interesting. You know, Jeffrey Diamond has talked about this uh, part of the Haven adventure and talking about how, you know, several years ago, it seemed like consumer revolution had came to every industry except banking and healthcare. And then his point was now healthcare is alone because we've seen so many other industries go through these revolutions. I think about travel agents being completely upended 20 years ago by Travelocity and Expedia. And your background is so interesting because you came from that world and then came to healthcare. And you know clearly there were some things that probably felt like you'd maybe gotten in a time machine. Tell me a little bit more about that because we have more and more listeners, more and more people in healthcare as leaders who are coming from outside healthcare. Healthcare executives have said, we need more non-healthcare thinkers like you. So what was that like transitioning into the world of healthcare? It really was like a step back in time, but I knew what I was getting into. I wanted to come into an industry that was being disrupted and changing to a high degree. I have found so many similarities between retail and healthcare. Now, of course, the mission of healthcare is significantly different, and I love it, right? There's so much more meaning to the work than trying to get people to buy more stuff that they don't necessarily need. And so it's been a lot of fun learning healthcare. And of course, there are differences. There are situations where it is life and death. We're in retail. Product safety, of course, is very important, but there aren't as many life and death situations as what you can run into in the healthcare space. I'm fortunate to be focused more in that experience space and the digital space, which you have a little more freedom to try new things compared to, say, being a hospitalist, right? I think it's about time healthcare is being disrupted. You mentioned so many other industries have been. Healthcare even now continues to have a challenge of being very incestuous and very much focused on themselves and not on the actual consumer. And even just the use of the word consumer can cause an uproar in a healthcare organization. And so what I've found is that trying to help people look at what we're doing from a different lens helps and using analogies. For example, healthcare has really high NPS scores, right? I mean, at Alina, our NPS score for our in-person experience is in the upper 70s and into the 80s. I mean, Apple, what I think is like at 45 or 50 as an NPS. Granted, it's not apples to apples because there's a digital component there, et cetera. But even then, people give a lot of space and grace to healthcare. And I don't think it's always going to stay that way. If you asked a consumer of Blockbuster 15, 20 years ago how they would rate their Blockbuster, they'd give it a really high NPS. Well, what would they do now if Blockbuster was still around? I mean, that's why they're not around, because they're not easy. They're not convenient like Netflix and other channels that now I can just stream whenever I want, wherever I want. The same thing's happening to healthcare. What is a little different, though, is healthcare will always have a really strong relationship component. Once you're sick, once you have a disease, you have more incentive to want another human to help you with it, right? And not just a bot. Now, when you're young and you don't have any chronic diseases, you might be more okay with a bot. So that's where as health systems, we want to bring those people in and establish that relationship so that we're there for them when they need us more as they age. You said a lot of important things there. I mean, the piece at the end about relationship, you know, we've done so many quantitative and qualitative, and I've shared that research with you. And, you know, we found relationship was huge. Consumers were saying, when I'm a patient, it's episodic. I'm in, I'm out. Once I'm discharged, it's like I'm never thought of again. And I need that relationship. And I agree with you. Healthcare is by nature of what it is so primed to build a relationship. But we forget in other industries, we have relationships and none more so than Blockbuster. I have my member card, right? That blue laminated card for Blockbuster. 
I was just at a case study last week at the Governance Institute where this came up of this idea. There were so many loyal Blockbuster customers, but Netflix was a completely different game. It wasn't even the same type of game. And the analogy that was used by Ken Hughes, who's been on the podcast recently, he's an Irish consumerist. He said, wouldn't it be crazy if you tried on Netflix right now to watch a movie? And they said, well, someone in a different part of the country is watching it. So you can't. It's sold out on Netflix, right? You would never accept that. And yet we did under the previous paradigm. So I completely agree with you on that paradigm shift. That's a great example, too, of technology. And, you know, you're a great technological mind. In fact, I've got to ask you because you've been able to fuse some things at Alina that I think a lot of people struggle to do. We're always talking about how we promote ourselves, how we market ourselves, how we build that relationship with consumers is important. And then all the way down here on the other side of the campus is IT and information technology and the way that they do things. You really have bridged both worlds, right? Can you talk a little bit about the relationship there, how you fuse those two worlds so that the technology meets the consumer where they want to be? Important point there is I know you're using the phrase you. And when I hear that, I interpret it as Alina Health because I can sit here and talk about what we've done. And I truly mean we as Alina because none of the technologies, the experiences would happen without a whole army of folks who are doing awesome work day to day and open to the change and helping us drive that change. You know, I think other industries have seen this too of how do we move from an IT mentality of order taking? right? The business has requirements. I am here to meet or exceed those requirements and help document those requirements and then test and make sure it works. That's table stakes. People just expect tech to work these days, right? Like if all tech is working, good job. But that's not a great job because there's a whole lot more to technology. So what we've been trying out at Alina is really fusing some of the tech capabilities with the experience capabilities. A lot of times you have a patient experience team over here you have a digital team or IT here or somewhere in between, you've got marketing and digital marketing. We've really tried to bring all of those together, sometimes formally in an HR org structure and sometimes more in a matrix organization. For example, within the group that I have the pleasure of leading, we've got everyone from system developers, system analysts who are configuring my chart in Epic, for example, to software developers who are taking APIs out of my chart and rendering a unique customized experience that better meets the needs of our consumers for what they're trying to do, or building out our website or custom developing mobile apps. But even then, it's not just about the digital. You need to figure out how that digital gets incorporated into the in-person and the telephone experience too. That's where the consumer experience strategy part of our experience team comes into play to really help make sure that we're weaving these technologies and weaving analog situations into technology too, it goes both ways, is super important in order to drive adoption and ultimately have a seamless experience. It's like, again, going back to the Target example, now that you can order online and just drive your car up and hit a button and they bring it out to you, that's pretty cool. People are going to expect those sorts of things from healthcare too. If I need a strep test for my kid, wait, you were doing all these COVID test curbside. Why can't you do a quick strep test curbside? So I don't even have to get the kid out of the car seat, lug them in, do the registration thing. We need to think about things differently and more like our consumers do, and they expect ease. Yeah, so much so. Those new you know, pandemic experiences that are not going to fade very much in the minds of consumers, they're going to expect it because they know it can be done. 
when you think of the entire organization of Alina Health, what I'm hearing too is that you're not afraid to get in the room, so to speak, with other parts of the organization and think through those things before there's a problem, before there's you know some issues that arise, and then we're trying to put out fires. It just seems like you guys have been able to get together in teams. I've experienced that at some of your leadership institutes and some of the wonderful meetings that you've had there, but I've always observed that, that you're not afraid to get together in a room. So let me ask you this, because this is where it can get complicated. How do you measure a great experience? You mentioned MPS, and I'm just curious on how you measure that experience, which is now sometimes virtual, sometimes physical, that hybrid approach. In your mind, if someone's had a great experience of some kind with Alina Health, how do you know? It's a, another good question, Ryan. It's like you're paid to think of good questions to ask people, man. It's awesome. We're wrestling with that, right? We moved from traditional CSAT to NPS. That way we could benchmark a little bit better to other industries. We're finding the benchmarks aren't really apples to apples for the reasons I mentioned earlier. We've tried also a version of the customer effort score. A lot of times the effort score is focused on a contact center and first call resolution. We've adapted it to really think about the experience we're trying to create and ask patients, consumers, how do we do? We're trying to make this experience easier than what you could ever imagine healthcare to be. How do we do? People are still scoring us really high, but we know there are seams in our experience. It's not seamless. We know that, right? We can see it. So we're continuing to find ways to measure that, whether that be more qualitative methods, using the lean process of Yemba, where you go and like sit and watch and see things in action, finding different ways of asking consumers what they thought of an experience. Those are just some of the ways, but ultimately the jury's still out in how we're going to measure that. Digitally, we can measure things like how many people bounced out of the online scheduling flow. But you can't always know why. Was it they didn't find the appointment they wanted? Was it not the provider they wanted? Or did the timer go off in the kitchen? They just needed to go finish dinner. There's a whole host of measures, but it all comes down to you're trying to measure how somebody feels. And feelings are hard to measure. So it doesn't mean we can't keep trying, but we're not going to find the holy grail metric like you can with operating margin or net revenue in the healthcare world. It is going to continue to be squishy. In a lot of ways, consumers are a lot more complicated than financials and things like that. I like the way that you use that analogy. Nobody has a perfect answer to that, by the way. That is a very tough question. And when people say we've figured out the consumer, alarm bells go off in my head because I'm thinking as soon as you think you figured out the consumer, you've probably lost them. Just to accentuate your answer, you guys have been so curious. I mean, you were one of the early adopters of patient wisdom, which is now a tool that's been acquired by NRC Health and is part of our stories platform and human understanding where you've got patient input on who they want to be, what they want to be called, what their fears are before they even go in. So you've got a really nice lever that you pull on the front end. And I've always been impressed with how you've measured on the back end and compared the not perfect benchmarks, of course. But just the fact that you're out there doing that and learning as you go seems like the best possible position to be in. You also are undergoing another little tiny project known as Salesforce integration, which sounds like two years of someone's life. I don't know. That's the way I'm thinking of it from a non-IT mind. Tell us a little (laughs) bit more about that. Are we going to see a wave of Salesforce integration like we have with Epic and other things? And where does that leave the traditional CRM? Give me some viewpoints on that. We've chosen Salesforce. This isn't a Salesforce commercial, right? We'll say CRM because there are various tools on the market. And I know Epic's continuing to build out their capabilities in this space too. You know, 
warning, what I'm about to say is a little provocative in the healthcare world and is yet to be seen and confirmed. So I could be wrong, but it's not all about the EMR anymore. It's just not like the EMR is definitely critical for clinical care, right? But in a consumer focused industry, it's not just about really the table stakes of it is like a CRM type of capability. Now, some people would argue, well, is it really CRM or is it CDP? Is it this? Like just in general, you need a platform that helps you understand a whole lot more about the person you're serving than you ever thought you needed. And it can really help you drive and improve outcomes is what I believe. Now, we have just started our journey with CRM and we're starting out with marketing as a way to build and show an ROI and the value that CRM can provide in better segmenting your population and helping them get more curated content when and how they want it, right? So again, it goes back to the consumer. How does she want to receive communication? Is it SMS? Is it email? Is it phone? Is it the mail? And how do we honor that and know that so that she doesn't have to keep telling us that? And so we're starting with marketing and then we'll continue to expand, I imagine, from there. We've started out with our business case just focused on the marketing side because we know there's enough value in and of itself there. Now, if a healthcare system really wants to have a seamlessly connected experience, that CRM is going to have to be used by many people and connect into the EMR more than you'd ever think. And so it is just really important that we continue to look at how do we integrate using technology better, but it's not just technology. I can't keep reiterating that enough. It's about the human connection and the technology as an enabler. And so if we can know more about our consumer and personalize the experience more to them, and I always joke and say, without being creepy, right? I mean, we've heard the story of Target with the gentleman's daughter who was pregnant, right? And started getting pregnancy-related mailings and the Target knew before he knew, right? That could get creepy in healthcare. Like, oh, we noticed that you were browsing for knee replacements. Here's a bunch of social media ads about knee replacements. People aren't ready for that yet. But if we can use that to maybe curate some of the content in, if you've signed up for our Healthy Set Go newsletter, that is a win, right? Because I get that newsletter, but there's a number of articles in it today that aren't relevant to me. In the future, we'll be able to use that data to make it more relevant. And then you mentioned patient wisdom and, you know, we're an NRC customer on the patient surveying side too. Like, wouldn't it be great for us to be able to consistently see, here's how Ryan has scored us over time. Ryan just scored us low. We need to go in and see what's up, right? It's more than just a service alert in the NRC platform. It's more like, this is like a loyalty alert. What happened here? And If Ryan is maybe an attributed patient of ours in one of our at-risk programs, then we may want to just call him or we might know Ryan likes texts. Hey, Ryan, well, we saw your response to the survey yesterday. So sorry about that experience. You know, here's how we can make it right. How do we get ahead of that? And how do we help those consumers navigate healthcare in a way that works for them? And you're being so proactive in diagnosing. I mean, the technology is a challenge and you know better than anyone on that. But we're in such a service recovery culture. One of the things that NRC Health is trying to do is saying, you can go in proactively and look at some of these numbers and figure out this is a relationship at risk or a loyalty alert. I like the way you said that. And it really feels like we've got to lean forward into those things instead of being on our back feet. 
But I think what you said was, you know, you prefaced it as a warning and it might be provocative, probably only in healthcare, right? Because what you're essentially saying is we need to know as much as we can about someone to provide them great care. And right. every other industry is like, give me as much data as possible. And sure, we got to worry about the creepy line, but we're so far from that in healthcare. I mean, we're at the point where we act like we have amnesia and you have to tell us everything about you whenever you come in. We know nothing about you. And it's such a struggle. I think it's refreshing to hear you talk about that. Let me ask you this, though. Relationship building is important, but a lot of times there's another force that comes in, and that would be not our provider side, but the payer side. And so if we zoom out on this world of relationships, these intermediaries like my insurance company, they can be a real barrier. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, the Midwest is not always known to be the most innovative. We learn a lot from the coast, right? There are definitely things that we are innovative in. So for those in the Midwest, I'm not trying to ding us on everything, but we can see from the trends from the coast. And one of those things is the whole concept of value-based care and population health. We have entered into a number of arrangements with large payers that we work with. We've created a joint venture with Aetna to create our own health plan because we've traditionally been a provider system. We're not a provider and payer combined system like a Kaiser, for example. And so we've had to start creating more of these relationships with payers so that we're incented to keep people healthy rather than this weird phenomena that many health systems have of, well, it was a light flu season, so our financials are down. How wrong is that? It should really be, we kept people healthy and now we're doing well financially and we can reinvest that into our mission. So Alina is really stepping into this space more and carefully at the same time. We've got some really strong relationships we're building with our payer partners. And you know, when it comes down to it, again, we got to look at what does the consumer want? Oftentimes the consumer can't tell the difference between their payer and their provider system. The other thing is, When it comes down to it, who does a consumer trust more, their doctor or their insurance? Their doctor. And so the payers have been doing things because, you know, many of them are more in the for-profit world. I shouldn't say many. There's a number of them in the for-profit world. And they've been trying to be innovative to drive down cost of care, kind of agnostic of provider. Now we're incented to work together more. And that's really helpful because if there's a program that our biggest payer has implemented for their members and adoption has been okay. We have ways that we can incorporate that into the care continuum better to help drive adoption. And then ultimately, we hope outcomes, whether that be diabetes management, behavioral health, et cetera. So we're trying different innovative approaches with our payer partners rather than competitors, if you will, in some cases, and trying to move more into Alina. And so it feels Alina and less like it's your payer. I think there's a lot more to come, you know, things that we're noodling on that I can't share at this point because they're not public, but I think there's a huge opportunity for payers and providers to work more closely together and not just move into the model where they have to become one necessarily. We'll have you back on in a future episode when you can share, right? When some of those things have become (laughs) more public, but you're always working away and toiling away on such interesting things. And also, again, kind of like you've done within the organization, Alina Health, but you found a seat at the table for everyone, payers and providers here, and said, what's our common ground? I mean, we all want to produce better outcomes. The insurance company wants to have a better relationship with its members. And you, of course, want to have a great relationship with those who will seek care. So I think, again, that shows such an innovative and really an important approach that a lot of health systems can adopt. You've talked so much about the organization and the advances you've made. Let's go five years out. Let's say it's 2027. 
feels like a strange year, right? It's not that far away. What is something that you hope is part of the Alina Health experience? And this can also double as the experience in America, right? What is something that you hope is part of the Alina Health experience in five years that's really not part of the experience now? I would say no matter how you interact with us, we know you. Whether that be you're calling us, you are sending us an email or a chat, you know, which frankly is a capability we don't have right now, or you're coming in for an appointment. We know you. And if you call Alina because somebody called you and you had the number on your caller ID, for example, right, which will still probably exist in five years, we know who called you and we can get you in touch with the right person. Or we know that you've been browsing for a lot of patient education on COPD or something like that. And we don't want to be creepy, like I said, but we know you enough that something's up. We might need to reach out to this person. That's what I envision five years from now, that we are more connected internally to be able to serve our patients better, personalize the experience for them, and ultimately personalize their care to make it easy. Because healthcare is so important, it should not be complicated in areas where we can simplify it. Of course, the human body is complicated. We're not going to solve for that overnight, but that would be my vision. Just how do we make it so connected that we know you regardless of how you're interacting with us. Well, I think you and every American who's going to need care is singing from the same songbook because feeling known, the desire to be known is so important. Some of our recent research has revealed that people just want to be known and understood, whether that is a virtual experience, telemedicine, like we discussed, or it's walking into a clinic, filling something out. They want to be known throughout that process and throughout that journey. So that would be a fantastic goal for you at Alina Health and every other health system in the country to work toward. Chris, I want to thank you so much. As usual, you've done a wonderful job here painting a picture for us and teaching us some things. I think everybody learns something new. You've also managed to kind of keep that outsider viewpoint. You've not been completely indoctrinated by healthcare. Do you feel like you have been? You know, I feel like part of my job is to continue being a disruptor. You know, sometimes that gets me in trouble, but I think it's important in an industry that's being disrupted to be able to disrupt from within. So I think so, but I've also learned a deep respect for the complexities of healthcare that are what they are. And we might be able to find ways to ease the burden a bit, but the fact is the human body is complicated. Ryan, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Always good to chat with you and look forward to continuing to listen to your podcast. You've struck in a great balance between having an outsider's viewpoint and understanding healthcare. I think if you weren't getting in trouble, you wouldn't be doing your job. So I want to thank you as well for being on, and we will absolutely have you back to hear more about what's happening at Alina Health. And I know you're out there in the speaking circuit. I might even join you for some of those. We'll see. So the show continues. I want to thank everyone for listening today to Chris Dufresne of Alina Health, talking about all those different experiences, clicks and bricks, and trying to put it all together. We will talk to you next time. Thank you.